Hello, and welcome to Spring Office Hours, episode number 59. My name is Dan Vega, Spring Developer Advocate at Broadcom. And today, we have a special episode. We are talking HTTP interfaces with two esteemed members of the Spring team, Olga and Rossin. Uh, how are you guys doing? Good. How are you, Dan? Great. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna let you guys kind of intro yourself, so I don't. Uh, I need you guys to make sure we do it justice here. And so I'm gonna start with Yoga. Uh, can you go ahead and tell us who you are, what you do here, and uh, I don't know, maybe pick out something that you're interested that you're working on these days. Yeah. So I'm a software engineer in the Spring Cloud team, and I've been working a lot on Spring Cloud load balancer over the years also on Spring Cloud OpenFaint, Spring Cloud Netflix, and I have done all the work for the support for GraalVM uh, and native images within Spring Cloud, and now have started working on a similar thing for Crack, but why I'm here is because, yeah, starting with OpenFaint, then with another project called Spring Cloud Square, I was quite invested in working on interface clients and their integrations with Spring Boot apps. And then we have started working on an in-house solution, Rosen and Spencer, Gabe and I, and I have been involved in that bit in framework as well. Awesome. So yeah, that was definitely great to work on and hopefully we'll be adding more features and stuff. Uh, regarding it, another big thing that is happening is the crack support. Yeah, that's been a lot of fun. Uh, Deshaun and I just did a video on that and seeing how, like, it, how how uh, you can kind of alleviate all that startup time and and kind of just start where it is. But I think one of the exciting things for that too is um, that you know, you don't have to change a lot of code there. It's not on the developer. I mean, there are hooks into like yeah, for initialization it's... and stuff, but uh, it's nice that, that that is an option that we can get a lot of performance out of and not suffer some of the things that AOT does, right? Yeah, so, yeah. It's, it's, it's pretty easy. So it depends on where you are on this scale of re performance requirements, yep. also when it comes to memory, for example. So yep. that will tell you if, if that's good enough for you, then it might be much easier to adopt. And if not, then the native yep. image might be for you. Or cool. just the regular JVM run, depends yeah. what are your requirements. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, the JVM is really good at, at certain workloads for sure. Cool. Um, okay, we'll turn it over to you. Rasen, can you go ahead and introduce yourself? Uh, sure. Hello from my side as well. Um, a uh, long-term developer on the Spring Framework team, uh, looking after Spring MVC, <clears throat> um, its evolution, maintenance, um, and pretty much everything to do with uh, web, including WebFlux, um, WebSocket, messaging, web messaging uh, with Stomp, um, Socket more recently um, as well. And um, in terms of something that I've been working on more recently, um, well, Olga and I have been collaborating on this um, HTTP interface client, uh, as well as the RSocket interface client that we're going to be talking about. Um, we've added lots of new features in 6.1 and uh, looking forward to talking about that. Um, we just released 6.1. Um, I'm also involved in Spring GraphQL uh, in, in that project as well, but not something we're going to talk about as much today. We'll, maybe we'll have to get you back for another time because you know I love talking GraphQL and we could probably talk about that for a long time. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Um, 
So yeah, so we're going to talk about um, HTTP interfaces today. Uh, we'll figure, I figure we'll kind of get there. Um, I just want to mention for everyone here in the live stream, we have pretty good crowd here. If you have questions, please uh, go ahead and ask them. Uh, we'll see if we can't get to them uh, as we're talking about something that's relevant to your question. Uh, if not, I'll get to them at the maybe the end of the episode. Also, if you are listening to this on the podcast, we do turn this into a podcast, so uh, if you are listening to this at a later time, please consider joining our live stream uh, and getting your questions in. Um, so I figured we'd kind of dive into a little bit about HTTP clients before we get into HTTP interfaces, right? Um, because, you know, I get a lot of questions that, hey, there's a lot of different clients available in Spring. Like, which ones should I use? Which one's appropriate? And um, I figured we can just talk through them real quick. So uh, the REST template, the REST template's been around for a while, I think like 3.0, and that's really kind of where it started. And this was a synchronous client that uh, you could use in your Spring MVC apps. And um, I saw, I, I can't remember who uh, did this presentation, but it was just with Sebastian and Jurgen, I think at one of the DevOps, and he did a really deep dive into kind of the clients and the history of them. And he said, I wish we didn't put that little bit of a statement in the Spring documentation saying that this is feature complete because a lot of folks in the community took it as like deprecated. That would be uh, Arian. Arian, that's it, yes. Yeah. Uh, and he was like, I wish we didn't put that in there because folks thought it was going to be deprecated. And that couldn't be further from the truth, right? I mean, to be fair, it's easier to say that now. Yes. Uh, than it was, you know, five years ago or yep. whatever it was when we put it. Uh, the world was very different. Uh, Loom <laughs> was not looming. Um, and um, REST template was designed, as you said, Spring Framework 3 uh, quite quite a long time ago. And uh, yep. we've seen the limits of the API. That was on a much older JDK version as well. Um, right. Then we started to see more interface, fluent type interfaces. And um, so by the time we created the web client, we thought it pretty much had everything. It had the yeah. synchronous and asynchronous. It had the uh, fluent API, modern fluent API. So we thought, well, um, that's pretty much uh, the, the way to go forward. Um, but, um, you know, we... Um, subsequently realized that um, um, that putting any kind of statement, we never deprecated it for the record. It was never yes. deprecated, <laughs> um, right. which means that whatever we would have done would have been years and years away anyway yeah. um, to, to be phased out. But um, at this point, um, I don't think that even makes sense because the REST template is so widely used and it doesn't really make sense to phase it out um, at, at any point. Um, well, and uh, and we'll talk about it, but to it, continue to it's still it. there for a reason because something else is built on top of it, right? The REST client. Um, so I guess I'm asking this for, kind of for my own good just to understand, but um, I, I think like, like any project, right? It, it had good intentions to start the REST template and then you start getting requests and uh, ideas to change things. And from what I saw from his talk, it was... Yeah, it started out great, but we kind of got, we just got piling features on top of it. And I think one of the things that with the REST template, you know, you, you get a new instance of it, you hit REST template dot, and you're just bombarded with all of these different methods and all these overloaded methods. And you can be kind of confused as a developer. You're like, hey, which one of these should I use? I, I'm not quite sure which one's appropriate here. 
Is yeah. that is that kind of what happened? And then we got to the the web client, and we learned from the REST template and built the web client from that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that that was the experience basically. That if you try to, um, if you if you have an interface which um, um, API which is very convenient to use because they're literally one line methods, but in HTTP we have so many combinations of. HTTP methods and different kinds of things you might want to do with the request, with the response, with the type of the response that um, you have essentially an explosion of, um, of methods that um, um, eventually we got to the point where um, we would get requests for additional less commonly used combinations uh, like a delete with a, with a body or right. um, things, things of that nature. And, we we would say no only only the common ones uh, ju <laughs> right. just you know use the execute or the exchange the you yep. know the underlying uh, delegate methods um, yeah but with a fluent API you know you you can sort of work around that by splitting things up from the top and then you're less overwhelmed uh, as you use that of course if you look at yep. the whole interface then that's overwhelming yes. if you try to digest it that way <laughs> but as you start using it which is most commonly the way you, right. you do things um, then it's much easier. Right. So, so then, you know, we learn from the web client and then I, and I, I'm asking for, again, for my own good, but at, at least from what I saw in the community, we, we started hearing a lot of people say like this web client is great, but now I need to like bring in this other dependency into like a spring MVC app uh, to go ahead and take advantage of it. So like, why am I using spring MVC or spring web and spring web flux? Why do I have to bring that in to use the web client? Uh, is that, is that what kind of led to the REST client or what, what kind of led us down the road to get to what is the REST client today? Um, yeah. Um, so the web client um, indeed came, came out of Webflux and um, is built on a, on a reactor and reactive based um, API. And it was our first attempt at a um, modern uh, client after the REST template, after many years with the REST template, and uh, just came up in the context of Webflux. And we, we were able to do something completely different, which is um, to provide um, a, an asynchronous client with a declarative, functional declarative API, which is actually very good for um, declaring um, your pipeline of requests. So if you have kind of scatter gather, you need to do multiple requests. That's when the power really comes out. Uh, because then you can really express uh, things that you want to do in parallel, things that you want to do sequentially. You want to make all these calls, and then you want to gather the data and bring it back. Um, so we, we could do something that, and we could do streaming very nicely with decoding. Not that you can't do streaming with the REST template, but um, right. you know it doesn't really support decoding to higher-level objects and, and sort of event-based um, API. Um, functionality. And, and so we were able to do new things. So it made sense to create a new client. Um, but of course, um, you know, Webflux has very strong um, usage, um, but it's capped at a certain point. You know, the, for, for some people, the learning curve is um, higher. Um, although, to be fair, I think in the combination of Spring MVC and Web Client is where I've seen the most traction with um, client reactive APIs, because that's, that's where you realize the power. Uh, you actually, yeah. a lot of people need to do that in a controller. They need to make remote calls. And right. when you begin to see how easy it is to make these calls, 
And then you begin to accept that functional API. When you, when you start thinking about building your entire application that way, there's a learning curve. There's no yes, question about for it. Sure. Um, so with Java um, 21 and Loom, I think that that significantly changed the landscape, which we always knew that was coming, but um, um, I think actually we learned that it was coming uh, well after web client. I mean, I mean, it was in the works for quite a while. Um, so eventually it came, and of course that changes uh, things very much, and it very much brings back synchronous imperative APIs um, mm -hmm. into the forefront. Um, and at that point it made sense to uh, come around and present a, a modern version of REST template itself. So um, if you look at REST client and REST template, they live in the same package. They they use exactly the same infrastructure. So it's literally just a, another inter, um, another API presentation layer over the same infrastructure. You know those HTTP message converters and everything that, um, uh, that that's in use underneath. So um, that's something that we've now provided and um, that that is our answer if you want something like the rest template but in the modern api rest client is the answer for that so, so um, you brought up something interesting there i thought rest is rest client not built on top of rest template or are they separate um they're more like next to each other gotcha. um, rest okay. client does not in any way depend on rest template itself they're, they're both gotcha achieving the same thing with the same infrastructure underneath. They're just different um, API, a different okay. API on top of um, you know what it the, is. Same, the same. I got them mixed up. The, the new JDBC client actually uh, in the constructor, I think, calls like the JDBC template. So I think JDC client is built on the JDC, JDBC template, not the, uh, the REST mm -hmm. client. So. Yeah, that's an interesting point, yeah, um, cool. about the relationship there. But um, in the case of the REST template, actually, um, it, it makes um, it, it the things that the REST template does, it doesn't make sense to reuse those in, in the REST client because the REST client does yeah. it in a, in a sort of in a very different, uh, very different way. Um, that makes sense. There, there are probably more parallels between JDBC template and JDBC client that makes this one-to-one -one, right. uh, right. easier to achieve. Okay, cool. So that's a little bit, little history, a little road uh, trip down memory lane of kind but of rest templates. It's also, it's also worth mentioning that for all this time, you know, um, there was the um, OpenFame client and, and um, yep. all this, which kind of grew outside of, of the Spring Framework in Spring Cloud, where I guess yes. it, it, it was used most often because it, yep. um, that sort of thing there was a natural fit. Yeah. Um, and that provided a way to, to be sort of um, independent of the REST template API. You, you could right. just design your own interface uh, right. uh, for that. Well, that, that is a good transition because that's where I was heading next. Um, Olga, can, I, I know we have some news on Spring Cloud. Didn't we have something big happen yesterday? Yeah, we did do the release. So 2023.0.0 is now officially released. Yes. We've been getting a lot of requests this year. I think more than, than ever. People <laughs> asking us on um, yeah, social media or creating issues and requesting it very much. So we are happy to announce that it is now here. And uh, just going back to the whole um, 
clients and reactive versus non-reactive stack. Something that we have announced there was the MVC gateway. So awesome. I just wanted to plug it in here because it was super yes. requested and uh, we had some people waiting with um, switching to gateway because for some reasons they did were not able in their organization uh, to use this reactive stack. They didn't were not didn't have permission or I find it difficult to say why exactly, but there were some <laughs> cases where it was a blocker. So we are very happy to say that now you can have it both ways. You can have gateway uh, with reactive um, stack, or you can have gateway with the MVC stack. And there also REST client is used under the hood. So that that's another thing regarding REST client. But uh, also with that Spring Cloud release, we have added load balance uh, annotation and load balancing support for REST clients. So that is also available now. And and yeah, and we also definitely support both web client and REST client within the interface clients that we will be talking more about. Yeah. Yeah, that that's that's pretty interesting that um, WebFlux would be a blocker, especially at the gateway level when when you don't even need to write like code for that, right? Like you could just use configuration yeah. to to take in your requests and, and forward them down to like a downstream service. Yeah, so, so <laughs> happy it was not that big group of a user, but it was a persistent thing. Yeah. And it was, I think, um, in, in the whole Gateway project, the most requested feature ever. That, that's what so, uh, Spencer, yeah, we that were talking to Spencer lot. about it one day and yeah, he brought that up. He said this was the most requested um, issue that he's ever seen. So that's awesome. Um, I'm going to come back to the load balance thing. So in Spring Cloud Gateway MVC, you're using the REST client to make calls out to other services. And this is why traditionally like it has been reactive, right? Like if you're taking in requests, uh, calling something via HTTP as a blocking request, we don't want to just hang on that, right? Like, so, mm -hmm. so making that um, you know asynchronous makes sense. In this case, we're using the REST client now, um, and it has the ability to load balance. W what does that look like? Is it just an annotation? How does that work? Um, it is just like a prefix for the route LB, and then we use different filters for the reactive wow. versions, and yeah. Or with load balancer, usually we use the interceptors also. So yeah, basically it, you just prefix it and then you can use the service ID instead of your host. Every time I, I get a chance to play around with Spring Cloud Gateway, I'm just amazed because I, I come from a world of like gateways where you have to like submit tickets and, and wait two weeks, three weeks for a response to make a change to it. and. Spring Cloud Gateway just makes everything so easy. So. I think that's what's the biggest differentiator and why it is such a popular project because it's yep. just made with developers in mind and yep. not operators. And it, could, or, and it could be as small as you need it to be or as large as you need yeah. it to be, which is really great. It's a regular Spring Boot app. So. Yep. Okay, so I wanna I wanna get into HTTP interfaces, but I wanna like talk about how we got there. We we mentioned a couple of projects earlier, Spring Cloud OpenFane, Spring Cloud Square. Can you kind of just give us a history of where those came sure. from, what they are, what they do? Yeah, so OpenFane was part of Spring Cloud Netflix, 
and later on it was kind of given to the community, the CoreFane project, and what we have retained in Spring Cloud, in Spring Cloud OpenFane is the integration for it. So basically what Fane does, it allows you to take an interface, annotate it, and based on this, these annotations, it translates the regular method calls into HTTP requests. And mm, what we do in Spring Cloud OpenFane is instead of allowing you to use only the Fane specific annotations, which you can see in the documentation if you are interested in it, but they are different from the annotations that were used in Spring generally in controllers. So there was this idea way back before I even joined that project that maybe we should make it very easy for Spring users to use Fane and we should use the same annotations that we use on controllers, on MVC controllers in Spring, um, such as get mapping or request mapping or request mm -hmm. param or yeah, all the ones that we are generally accustomed to, use them on those interfaces. Because then we have this experience when we can practically copy paste methods, annotated methods from controller classes and just remove the bodies and we get the interface. And that was on one hand a good idea because it uh, allowed us to have like a super flat learning curve for mm -hmm. Spring MVC users to start using this. And this tool is very, very popular, but it has also caused problems because it was too broad. So yeah. uh, some things were appropriate, like have variable or request param or things that you can use both on client and server side. But request mapping, for example, was way too broad. And when people wanted to have everything that was supported on uh, the server side and request mapping to be supported also somehow without always being certain how on the client side, it caused a lot of issues and also the ability to annotate the methods with request mapping caused some CVEs and yeah, it was problematic, uh, but still we were going to support it because it was very, very popular, uh, mm -hmm. the project. And another issue we had is that the core was external. So if we wanted to change something, we had to rely on changes there. Uh, but still we would probably just keep on with it because we were happy with it, users were happy with it. But then uh, the whole reactive movement came and web flux and web client. And our users started asking us, okay, when do we get something like open fane, but maybe with web client underneath or reactive or non-blocking, how do we plug this in? And then unfortunately we were not able to provide such kind of support for fane without the solution itself, the external project being re-architected. Right. So we started thinking about this. At some point, we realized that we could maybe provide a similar experience uh, with Square. So that is retrofit. And that allowed us actually to plug in a web client underneath and, and still use retrofit. So we did an incubator project just to try how this is going to play out. And... Then another thing happened, which was our colleague that everybody knows here, Josh Long, had a similar solution uh, for our socket, RetroSocket. And we then thought, okay, we have these three projects. How do we go forward? What do we do with it? And our mm -hmm. first idea in cloud, because we were just thinking in the limited like cloud team, um, 
group was, okay, let's just make an interface clients project. Let's put all these solutions and let's support the integrations in cloud. And we now have to take it and talk to the broader team. So we talked to the Spring team. We have a call where the team leads and, and other people on the team discuss any new ideas and people can get feedback. And it was actually great because we found out that there is a point um, where Spring team uh, could also possibly interested in having this solution within the framework instead of us just providing external support. So Rosen, uh, I remember you told us that there was an issue open for that even, but it was superseded uh, for That's open like frame. A best case scenario for these kinds of meetings where actually something <laughs> unexpected comes out of them, right? Yeah, <laughs> with, with the it consequences. <laughs> Awesome. So, so HTTP interfaces was kind of born out of that, um, out of that need. So, is so HTTP yeah, I mean, interfaces. I think if, if I'll, I'll add just a couple of words from my side that in the Spring Framework um, issue tracker for a long time we've seen issues related to the um, sort of open thing style client uh, support. Um, where users were asking for that to be more built into Spring Framework. And, you know, we, we looked into it. Um, it didn't always come as, you know, move this into Spring Framework. It, it came as, um, could you please um, support these annotations on parameters of interfaces? And, and the underlying reason for that um, that comes up in the issue tracker is that this is being used with OpenFane and people want to reuse the interfaces between controllers and, and clients. Um, and so, um, but we always, um, we, we did what we could with many of the requests if we could fulfill them, but the actual underlying, you know, functionality, we always considered that, well, that's provided in Spring Cloud. So why would we get too far into that, that that need is met there? I mean, it wasn't a perfect situation, but um, so I think when there was a moment of sort of thinking, okay, where do we go next, uh, sort of this pivotal moment, um, then it seemed like a good idea to really try to reconsider how we do this and and where it actually belongs. And so for those for those of us, for those anyone out there who doesn't understand what an HTTP interface is or OpenFane or Project Square, can can one of you guys just explain it at a high level what it does? Yeah, basically it takes an interface with annotations and then what the library will do underneath is create a proxy that will change, will turn the method calls to HTTP calls and the information on what call exactly. So which method, where to, with which parameters, that will all come from uh, either annotations on method level or interface level or from annotated parameters or also some non-annotated, like something where we can easily detect what we are talking about. For example, URI or HTTP method. We know that it yep. is nothing else and that's the only thing we can do with it. Uh, so we can use it without an annotation. So, um, and basically what we do is create a proxy that will translate these method calls into HTTP requests. And for that we use different clients. So right now we supported first web client only but now we also support using uh, both REST template and REST client under the hood. But the, all the mechanics, all the bits in between are practically same. We just have adapters to wrap these clients 
and then we are able to create the calls. And then, so I guess the, the idea behind this is, is to kind of take some of that mundane boilerplate code that you may write as a developer to talk to another service uh, the same way that, I don't know, we made, maybe not the exact same, but the same way that we do in like the Spring Data Project when we have a repository that takes some of that mundane CRUD operations out of our hands and lets us focus on more of the kind of business requirements, right? Yeah, it's a good, good comparison. And I think yeah. um, when, when we were creating the functionality in the Spring Framework in the first time I, I got to writing a test for this, um, I, I was struck myself, oh, this is so nice. You know, my tests are done so quickly. Um, <laughs> it, it, yeah. It's a very nice experience. You just create an interface, express the URL in, a, in, in the annotation of the method, like the, very much like the way you would write a controller on the server side. Um, and, it's and it's one of these features. Yeah, it's one of these features which is heavily on the side of usability. Yeah. Uh, because basically, we didn't really provide something completely new that you could do, but we make doing something that you have to do all the time in these kind of apps in web apps mm -hmm. so much easier, uh, nicer, simpler, and and cleaner in terms of code. And um, this is also something that, well, if you think about it, whenever you have an app and there you need to use some kind of client to communicate with an external service, you will usually either have to put this in your class within your business logic, which is not the best because you yeah. have different layers of abstraction kind of meshing up, or you can kind of ex extract it to a different specialized class. And maybe it can also be an interface because maybe you want to have various implementations depending on on the apps you are talking to or on the environment you are in. So um, I could imagine people having already interfaces for communication, uh, but they still would have to somehow implement it uh, using the HTTP client or in the case of RSocket, the responders, for example. But here we are just taking this whole layer of plumbing and the, work um, away. One of the things which which I think um, uh, is really nice about it is that um, um, it does really well um, synchronous or asynchronous. Um, you you just express it in the method signature. If you if that. you yeah. are returning a value, then it's synchronous. If you're returning a mono or a feature, then it's asynchronous, yeah. and um, the client underneath will adapt to that. Um, so basically, you know, this was something possible for a long time, whereas even today with web client and REST client, they're sort of separate, right? If you want yeah. a reactive client, it's there. And yeah, you can use it in a synchronous way, but it's um, um, slightly more, I guess. Um, that's not how it's usually used, even though it's perfectly possible to use it that way. But then REST client is where you go if you want all synchronous uh, stack underneath. <clears throat> cool. Yeah, um, especially... Uh, oh, no, go ahead. Especially with blocking uh, any web client communication uh, within REST communication, that would cause a lot of issues because uh, beginners would, were not, wouldn't know how to handle it. And these are also mm -hmm. one of the popular questions on Stack Overflow. I'm getting an exception. How do I block this? So yeah. uh, we allowed using web client and on that stack underneath. But at the same time, we would take care of actually blocking it and returning it in a sensible way. Yeah. 
Well, um, one of the questions I get a lot and I'd like to hear your thoughts on is, okay, well, Spring Cloud Open Fane is out there. There's this new HTTP interfaces in Spring. Which one do I reach for? And one of my stock answers has always been, well, if you're not using Spring Cloud, you know, that's kind of an easy decision. It's already baked into the framework for you. But are there any differences where someone might want to use uh, OpenFane versus HTTP interfaces today? Mm. Honestly, I would suggest using the interfaces. Um, firstly, be <laughs> because it's uh, OpenFane, we are planning to maintain it, but it is in maintenance only mode. We okay. fix bugs, but and if members of community uh, provide some small requests, we review them and possibly get things merged in, but we are not planning a lot of uh, investment in this area because we want to rather invest in Spring Interface clients. Uh, yep. Secondly, uh, a big thing when it comes to Spring Cloud integrations in OpenFane is load balancing. But if you are using web client or REST client or REST template, you annotate it with load balance, uh, for example, or you just uh, instead you can pass a filter function um, and you got yourself or an interceptor, depending which client you're using, and you got yourself a load balanced client and then you use it. So uh, I have a sample that later maybe I can link. And as you can see, it's one line to add load balancing. So basically Perfect. you set up that, uh, for example, in that uh, sample, I have the web client instance to be load balanced. And also if you and, want that reactive or asynchronous nature that comes built into it. So that's yeah. that's one differentiation yeah. that's very yeah. clear. Yeah. yeah. And then another thing is that in OpenFane and what we add is circuit breaker support, which again is something you can uh, set up on a different level, but we kind of out to configure things for you. We are thinking about this in the backlog, so we might be working on it. I don't want to say when or if for sure, but this is something we are considering. And um, yeah, we provide some kind of auto configurations, but again, right now, uh, even without any auto configurations, creating uh, interface clients is super easy. These are two yeah. lines. And still also the team is discussing if there is anything else that later on we might want to add uh, to make it simpler. So um, I would say we will be adding more functionality to interface clients and nearly all the functionality of um, OpenFane is already there. And um, yeah, I would say because it is done in-house and this is an internal solution, there has been less yeah. kind of plugging. The teams were able to coordinate what they were doing. So it is a neater solution if you're using Spring Boot applications. And yeah, yeah OpenFine has been great. I really like it as a project, but we just need to pick one solution that we'll be investing in instead of having many doing more or less the same thing, but differently. So we will be going with the in-house solution. Yeah, and I think that's what I've you know kind of been telling people, so I'm glad to hear that. And I think the one thing I did here was kind of some of the load balancer stuff, some of the circuit breaker stuff, but I can see that's kind of uh, going away now, those, those questions. So um, along the lines of something you said there, I did get a question from Twitter. Uh, that that we can dive into. Um, there's quite a bunch of stuff to write in order to get 
the HTTP declarative interfaces. So you declare the interface, and then you have to write some boilerplate code to kind of get it to work to create the factory. Um, is that something you guys are looking at? Um, but this is something. the factory you create once. The factory then you, you can create, create once. any number of interfaces. In fact, boot will do that for you. Uh, you will get a factory builder uh, from memory, uh, mm -hmm. similar to the way it works for uh, REST client or web client or REST template. You get a builder yep. that you can inject into wherever you need it, um, and then you just say, "Here's an interface," and you know you get the proxy. So, uh, yep. really, should be a one line. And I have a live yeah. template in IntelliJ that just kind of spits it out for me. <laughs> yeah, it should be easy. We are still also looking at other possible options, but we haven't decided yet if they would offer enough benefits. So okay. we don't have yet anything in the backlog for next release. But yeah, definitely we're also happy to hear feedback from our users and see Perfect. discussion in, in GitHub on that. Yeah, cool. there is actually a boot um, ticket, isn't there, for providing support yeah, for declarative Clients um, and that's that's open, so it's gathering feedback. Um, okay. And, uh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. So if you want, if you're interested in that, go check out that issue uh, and go ahead and make some comments on there. So I have a question here in the chat from someone in the live stream from Andrea. It says, "Is the new MVC gateway using virtual threads from Java 21? If so, what would be the difference between the MVC and reactive gateways?" Yes, you can uh, set it up to use it, and um, how much difference you will see, that probably depends on your setup. But if you're interested, I would recommend uh, watching one of the presentations by Spencer Gabe or the mm -hmm. previous office hours, because that is all about this. And while our team works on that, I personally haven't worked on it. So yeah, yep. I would send I, you I can make I can make a more general uh, point about Spring MVC and um, Spring Web Applications and, and Loom and virtual threads is that um, uh, the approach we've taken is to, um, and this is not just in Spring MVC, but in all Spring projects to ensure that um, wherever virtual threads um, may be um, used um, to make sure that that is really easy to configure so that you can plug in an executor uh, so for Spring MVC, for example, we we have um, configuration for an executor for uh, if you're doing asynchronous things. Um, um, and um, in boot, there is an option uh, that you can enable virtual thread support, and that will and then boot will make a maximum effort to go into all of these places and configure virtual threads for use. Um, and we we do have a virtual um, uh, thread executor in Spring Framework. Um, so that's that's available for you to um, very very easily to to plug in. So all the infrastructure is there. It's easy to turn it on um, and to try things. Um, and so the MVC gateway builds on that. And um, but, I mean, in terms of the execution model, I mean, obviously there is a difference. In one case, you have uh, servlet threads. Um, that uh, you can turn into virtual threads, so you can be doing your handling as virtual threads. Um, and then as those threads are naturally in a gateway doing remote calls, uh, any blocking there is on a virtual thread, um, um, uh, which makes writing the gateway, I imagine, easier 
simpler because it is um, in, a, in a blocking style, imperative style. Um, with um, with the reactive style, um, it's basically the, the the execution model is different uh, because you rely on a small number of threads and it's non-blocking style um, asynchronous, which is um, you know basically done through functional reactive style API programming. So there are different ways that you can do asynchronous logic, um, but um, you know the with Reactor, you, you get the functional declarative style of doing that. Yeah, and I think that's a, a great point. If you've, if you've already got a gateway written in something like Reactive, there, there isn't a whole lot of benefit to rewriting it in MVC. I think this is more yeah. of an option for the things like that Olga was mentioning earlier. Hey, we're a team. We'd like an MVC gateway because we write everything in imperative code. And that's fine. Yeah. Like that will offer you and, another scalability and one of the big mechanism. Points, one of the big points about uh, Spring Cloud Gateway is that you can go in and, and write your own code, uh, that you mm -hmm. can yeah. customize it. And, and I imagine that that is something that factors into uh, yep. considerations. Um, yeah. How would I have to write this code? Would it have to be reactive? Would it have to be imperative? How does that fit with what I want to do right. with my um, company? That's true because you, you can write your own filter to modify stuff. And then for some teams, it would be much easier to write it in the MVC yep. style and non-reactive style. And uh, I think that is one of the main reasons people might have wanted that. Um, I think even the gateway And, and you itself, view it as your own application almost, because you, you yeah, eventually yeah. go in and, and, and debug it and, and, and Yeah, and we, and even for... Yeah. The gateway, the, the code itself for the solution, uh, Spencer has been telling that it took much less code to write it uh, for the MVC mode than uh, for WebFlex. So yeah, especially for the users that heavily want to, because for a lot of users, what we provide in gateway is so comprehensive that they really do not need to add anything. But for these teams that want to add their own filters, for example, um, yeah. that may be important. Cool. Um, along those same notes, we answered the question, but I did get a question I figured out to answer. How do you configure the REST client to use virtual threads? Again, this is more of like a boot thing. You're just going to enable virtual threads in, in your Spring Boot application, and then all of the client calls for, via HTTP uh, will be using virtual threads, not, not, not a normal thread. Yeah, and it's also... Um uh, interesting in 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 that um, um, actually with the REST client you you're the one making the remote calls. Um, yeah. So the question is, what thread are you on? Are you doing that on? And what are you blocking? Is it a platform thread or a virtual thread? So um, it's um, almost as much a question of. Um, how are you actually using the REST client rather than the REST client? Well, there's two levels there. The REST client itself um, uses an underlying HTTP client. Um, yep. And uh, depending on what the facilities of that HTTP client is, uh, then uh, that may be using virtual threads, although most HTTP clients today use um, you know, asynchronous uh, event loop style processing, which, which is fine because you don't need to get into that. You don't need to be on that level. Um, but the nice thing is that you can actually use REST client in something like Spring MVC controllers. And if you've enabled virtual threads for use in, say, Tomcat, uh, then you don't need yep. to worry about uh, using blocking calls because that's going Great to be point. on a virtual thread. 
Cool. And along those lines, you just brought it up, but we got a question as well. Is, uh, is it possible to configure the REST client to use spe specific implementations of an HTTP library like Apache Commons, RC2, uses JDK, HTTP, et cetera? Yep, um, absolutely. It's um, it's very much uh, if you if you know the REST template, you know the REST client. Um, it's yep. the same idea. Uh, in fact, when you start building a REST client, you're going to recognize a lot of the options, familiar um, interfaces and contracts. And um, if you go to the Spring Framework documentation where REST template is documented, you'll also see the documentation for REST client, and you will see the list of HTTP clients that are supported. Great. Um, I got another question here. How to add observability or tracing to the REST client? That's a great question because I think the REST template and the web client are both observed uh, underneath the hood automatically. What Do you know what happens with the REST client? Um, yeah, so uh, as of um, 6.0, um, we have um, moved to having built-in observability into Spring Framework um, for all things web and, um, and and so there's no need for an external library like Sleuth to actually build support for that. We mm. we take care of that internally um, and, and so all of our clients come with built-in support for observability. And also moreover, if you are using any of our clients to create the interface client, because they are all already instrumented. Whatever calls you do with your interface client, that would also be instrumented, same as with load balancing. If you load balance your client, the interface calls also will be load balanced. So in this solution, as opposed to what we were doing um, before with OpenFane and before with having Sleuth, kind of we have this um, move, I wouldn't want to say movement, but a lot of things are kind of converging make things simpler and allow one bit of our infrastructure already be instrumented enough for other things to reuse it. And you don't need to add uh, additional setup or additional dependencies. Cool. Uh, we have some more comments, but I just want to get to one more, at least one more thing here, because I'm interested in it. We talked a little bit about it uh, yesterday before we were kind of prepping for the show. But there's a new feature in HTTP interfaces, um, the HTTP exchange for server-side handling. I'm interested in hearing more about this. What is this? What when when is this going to be? Uh, what is the use case for kind of using this? Okay, so basically we allowed taking the HTTP exchange annotation and also using it on the server side. And first, I was very reluctant uh, about this because I remember the whole request mapping conundrum and how yeah. it was a problem for us. But then Rosen made me realize actually that now we are taking the narrower scope and putting it there. So, and all whatever we can do on the client side, it actually also makes sense on the server side. It's just not the other way around. So we can still support it in this way. And uh, we have provi provided this support on both sides, uh, both for HTTP exchange and also our socket exchange. And what that means is basically, that you can take an annotated interface, so your client interface, and you can implement it in your controller and mm. just have these annotations in one place. And it will give you less functionality than you would get from request mapping. But for a lot of scenarios, that 
is as much um, functionality right. as you will need. That makes sense. That's pretty cool. Yeah, and and just to to add just a tiny bit of detail to that um, is the reason why we, um, if you think about request mapping annotation, that allows um, you to do things very broadly. You can map to any request, even to all requests. Whereas yeah. HTTP Exchange is very much focused on declaring a single request because that's what you're trying to do. Um, yeah. But Fortunately, the method parameters work out pretty nicely reusable between client and server. So we looked at it from the point of view of you're defining, and this is why we called it an HTTP service um, interface, is because it is really a declaration for a service and it's neutral to client or server perspective. But it does mean that if you're implementing it on the server side, you're gonna limit yourself to what is common between client and server. So certain things, um, you will not be able to take advantage of that only makes sense on the server side. Um, but maybe it's good enough and then you can really... But, but for many scenarios, it may be good enough and it's one way to keep, um, you know, a common contract between the two sides. And this uh, this is pretty new. When was this added? This is new. Which yeah, 6.1. 6.1, okay. Cool. So yeah, if you can, if you're out there and... This is something that sounds interesting. I'm definitely going to give it a try and put together a tutorial. But if you want, uh, please give that a try and, and let us know what you think because I think that's that's going to be fun. So I'm going to try that out. Um, okay, I have a couple more questions here. Um, how much of Zool and the new MVC gateway, they look pretty similar. Is it easy to migrate from Zool to the new MVC gateway? Okay, so um, Zool is a very simple solution and um, Gateway gives you much more possibilities of what you can do and it doesn't differ all that much. For now, I think there are more uh, filters and, and more options still in the uh, reactive one because uh, they will be adding up with time to the MVC one, but anyhow, you can just do much more. So in Zool, there were very simple things that you could do. And in Gateway, you can do anything with your request. You can route it anywhere, but you can also rewrite it. You can change the headers. Uh, you can modify the paths. You can even rewrite the body. You can do a lot of things. Uh, but if, and if you are used to writing uh, with the uh, non-reactive uh, style, then that will be easier for you to do if you want to go into this than it was in the non-MVC, in the reactive Gateway. However, um, if you are not going to be doing this, it should be very simple because actually the only thing you will have to do, so Zool kind of implicitly created routes uh, for you. In Gateway, for security reasons, the decision has been made not to do this. So you need to explicitly define your routes. But that's it. It can be as easy as a YAML. If you don't want to get into like developing things yourself, uh, it's probably just adding a YAML. And regardless on whether it is going to be the MVC gateway or the reactive gateway. Now, if you want to get into creating your own filters, for example, then you need to think which code style is easier for your team. And that depends probably on what they're used to. Awesome. Thank you for that. Um, I got one more here. Uh, does the HTTP interface have hooks for error handling without exceptions. For example, creating a default object to return in case of a timeout or another default response if the API returns 502. Um, uh, the, the answer is yes. 
The answer is yes. Oh, oh sorry. Um, the HTTP interface we're talking about. The underlying uh, clients, yeah. Also the REST client. Yeah. yeah, so it's the underlying client. Um, um, yeah, so you're, you're basically, um, like Holger said, you're relying on facilities of the underlying client, and yes, they, they do allow you to, to handle um, errors. The, the REST client um, actually supports the um, error handler, uh, same one as the REST template. Um, yep. As a as a convenience, uh, but it also defines its own uh, status handler yep. um, uh, interface, which um, um, is um, enables a more fluent way of a slightly different way of handling things as opposed to. Um, and where would you define? Where would you kind of de uh, define uh, those like the error handling? So if if I have an interface. Um, and I have my methods in there, you know, I have a get, a put, a post, a delete. Then I define the factory. Is that where I'm defining, like, the error handling stuff? It would be in the in the client. So as Rosin said, in REST client or REST template, and then there is a way of handling it in web client. We even have a snippet in our docs on how to do this. Yeah, you cool. basically declare the client, configure the client, uh, then you pass that into the service proxy Perfect. factory, and then yep. that's okay. what you use to create the, all the all the proxies. But um, actually, the way the question is um, written is it's actually talking about um, returning a different object instead of the. Okay, uh, that's more response. like a circuit breaker then. Um, but yeah, that's more like a circuit breaker because if you if you define that your you know method returns an object like foo um, in case of an error, obviously that yeah. would be a different kind of object, and then you're kind of stuck with returning something more general like object. And, um, and so it's partly a question of how that's to be set up, but you know, maybe. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, again, what you might do is just create an exception with. Uh, some sort of object inside of that, and then mm -hmm. something would handle this exception and look at the object. Um, yep. but. Yeah, but you can also set up the circuit breaking for the different clients. So, yeah, and then you kind of handle it. You can provide your own, fall, own fallback, and you can use some dedicated libraries for it. So you will add uh, our circuit breaker dependency, but then also a dependency for the library you choose, for example, Wizlins for j Cool. All right. Um, I think that's all the questions I have. I had one more note here that I figured I'd ask you, and then we'll we'll kind of wrap up. Um, I, I believe we were in a thread uh, internally on Slack talking about this, but something's being planned for Spring Boot 3.3 with declarative clients. Is that true? It's still being planned. So I think there will be new things, but new things? there's still some open issues. We are seeing how comments people will add and I think the team is still discussing it. So there are things happening again to kind of bring it make it even easier or remove even the two or three lines of setup if, if people want to but we haven't decided yet exactly what it will oh, look like. Gotcha. So I, I, I saw that comment like to promise anything. Like, yeah. But yeah there are GitHub no. issues so if somebody's interested um they can take a look and also comment on that. Uh, yeah, and the, and the general point is that um, that um, we we added the, the this in in Spring Framework six. Uh, we got a lot of feedback, a lot of good suggestions or questions um, how to do things, and then we added much more. Um, there's a natural cycle of evolution when when you add something new like that, and we already 
added quite a few things, including the you know server-side support that we just talked about and lots of other additional parameters, um, uh, the REST client and the need. So it's it's um, we're taking the feedback and and that's that's really the power of of this is that through the questions yep. um, it evolves and I expect that will continue. Um, it's in boot in Actually, framework as well. Uh, we're very actively looking at these requests and thinking about the suggestions. That that's actually a yeah, really good actually point. Yeah, just very recently, uh, yeah, we added one issue that came completely from the users telling us that they want a scenario where they have same path and different hosts, and we were not quite um, wishing to change things in a breaking way, but we figured out we could just, instead of um, doing it through the URI parameter, allow people doing through a URI builder factory. Sometimes so, the challenge is trying to yeah. get to the bottom of where the request is coming from, uh, <laughs> because maybe maybe the user decides that maybe we won't go as far as what they're actually asking, so they're asking in a different way, and then if yeah. you actually start thinking, well, wait a minute, we, we would actually do that. <laughs> Uh, yeah, we, yeah. If that's the right thing to do, we would consider doing that. So it, it's always it's always good to provide context, um, and we may often kind of question and challenge until until what you're asking kind of we we think we understand where it's coming from, and then we can think about how we might address it. Yeah, that that's usually a good outcome. So I out of that, I had a good question. I'm if I'm if I'm playing around with HTTP interfaces and I have some feedback. Where would I go? Because I this is kind of built into the framework, right? So do I just go to GitHub and go to the Spring Framework project? Like, where do I provide specific feedback about um, a feature um, like HTTP yeah. interfaces? So other than issues, um, which are like the issue that we have linked here, which is a boot issue, can boot provide additional, let's say, auto configurations. So uh -huh. that's why it's there. But anything related to the clients themselves uh, that yep. should go into framework. Now, if it is some kind of additional integration, uh, maybe it can go to cloud. But in any case, even if you log it in one repo, we all collaborate. So if awesome. if we need to, we'll just move the issue and the right um, team will look at it. Usually it's members of all those teams anyhow. So, yeah. Awesome. And hey, if you're, if you're watching this at a later time or listening to this at a later time, I'm here, Deshaun here. We are we are kind of voices for the for the for you guys out there. So if you have feedback, please get it to us. And you know, I I, I have the fortunate ability to Slack Olga and Rossin, and <laughs> I can just ping them and and then let them know uh, what you guys are thinking. So cool. I think um, with that, uh, we'll go ahead and end it. Uh, if you could, Olga, just tell us a little bit where we could find you. Uh, if we need to get uh, in contact with you, well, not really contact. Yeah. I don't want to put that out there. Nobody contact Olga just for the sake of contact. Olga Machashek at GitHub and then at the X platform, Olga underscore Machashek. So, um, yeah, you can go to our team members on, on Spring IO. We have a tab with team members and then you can see how to spell our names, for example, and <laughs> then it will be easier to find us. And that will be in the show notes. So if you want to find their contact info, you can go to the show notes. And Rosin? Yeah, I would say the same. Uh, the Spring.io team page, uh, spring.io slash team. Uh, you will find both of us with further links to Twitter, GitHub. Um, usually a lot of conversations happen in the issue tracker if, if it's about an actual you know, request or bug. 
Um, but um, you know, there's always other other ways through Twitter and so on. Great. Well, cool. Olga Rawson, thank you so much for taking time out of your day. I appreciate it. I hope everyone out there learned something new today. I know I did. And with that, uh, we will see you guys on the next one. Thanks, everyone. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.